Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, we simply ask that you would speak to us loud and clear today. And so, Lord, today I just ask God that people get hungry, people would be willing to open their hearts and just allow you to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if, uh, if pastoring and discipling people for, I guess, right around 25 years now has taught me anything, it is this, it is that we as God's people uh, don't truly change by avoiding the difficult, hard issues of the heart. Can I hear an amen on that? Listen, I'm sure most of us can agree with that statement that we know less we get down, as, as Nacho would say, in the nitty-gritty, uh, we're not really going to change. But, but I think that uh, it's funny that even though we agree with that, that we do our absolute best to try to avoid talking about difficult issues in the church. Y'all are already scared. This is awesome. <laughs> Listen, even though we know that that's where true freedom is really found, does anybody say, man, I would like to have freedom today? Yeah, I, I want to walk in freedom. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into one of those difficult topics. And uh, as we do, my prayer is pretty simple, is that you and I would have the courage to open up our hearts and allow the light of God to actually begin to move in the dark areas of our heart so we can be healed. Amen? And, and so to do this, I want to I hop in Matthew chapter 1. I want to read a passage of scripture quickly, and then we're going to scoot. It says this in verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. It says, Before they came together, before they had sex, right? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame or to, as other translations say, to expose her to public disgrace, it says, He resolved to divorce her quietly. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If I can, hit the rewind button briefly. Go back to verse 19 so we can read it one more time. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So can somebody say shame? shame? It says, Or to expose her to public disgrace, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, listen, if you've been in church for a while, more than likely you've heard a message or two uh, preached from this passage, especially around this time of the year. And, and I would assume that those messages either focused on uh, the turmoil and the pain of, of, you know, the cultural perception that Mary could have walked through, you know, uh, you know, as a young, single, pregnant girl if Joseph wouldn't have married her, right? In other words, we've heard that sermon. And, and the other group of sermons we've heard is, is about willing, uh, Mary's willingness to obey God's word that was spoken to her. Right, and so it typically goes in those two directions. And uh, while I would say that neither one of those directions are wrong, that that's not really the the direction I want us to run in this morning. And, and the reason is because I feel like the Lord wants me to talk about, uh, you know, a, a single word in that passage of scripture, and it is the word shame. Because the truth is, is um, 
While Joseph, for lack of a better word, rescued Mary from the potential shame and disgrace, uh, I know and you know that some of us in this room haven't been that fortunate. Instead, we've had to painfully endure more public and private shame than we would like to admit. Can I hear an oh yeah? So uh, if by chance I'm talking to you, and uh, more than likely I'm talking to somebody, and the reason I'm addressing this this morning is because, man, for about the past month, this just keeps coming up. And I'm like, okay, I'm hearing you, Lord. Let me enter into this. Let's talk about this difficult issue. But, but, but if by chance this is you this morning, then I just want you to know that it doesn't really matter uh, you know, who you are. It doesn't really matter what you've done or, or what's been done to you. At the end of the day, you need to know that God doesn't want you to walk in shame any longer. Amen. So for that reason alone, what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time together and I want to answer uh, what I believe are four significant questions that I hope will, will lead us into the process of healing this morning. And so those four questions are this. Is number one is what is shame? Number two is how does shame enter into our lives? Number three is how can shame reshape us? And lastly, how can we be healed of shame? Those are four significant questions. And so for time's sake, let's go ahead and dive into number one. The first question is this, is what is shame? Now, for starters, I think a lot of people don't really understand what shame is. And the reason is because they confuse uh, shame and guilt. But I want you to know this morning uh, that those two words aren't interchangeable. And the fact is, biblically speaking, guilt and shame are not the same thing. Like, they're not even close. So, uh, and let me just say it this way. Most counselors uh, say that the core difference between guilt and shame is this. Is that where guilt says, I made a mistake, shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I did something wrong, shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, I did something bad, and shame says, I am bad. In other words, counselors agree that the core difference between the two is this, is that guilt focuses exclusively on a person's actions while shame attempts to redefine who a person is. In other words, it attempts to reshape a person's identity. So listen, it's because of that difference, I think it's really easy to see that guilt, contrary to what a lot of people think, is actually a gift from God. It's a gift from God, where shame is obviously a tool of the enemy to keep us bound. Now, I I realize when I say that, it's possibly a new thought to some people, so I want to sit here for a second. Let me elaborate on this. The, The reason I say that guilt is a gift from God is because guilt is what we should feel as soon as we sin, right? Because it, for lack of better words, is our indicator or our alarm, if you will, that tells us we just blew it. Right? That, that it's this feeling that we more commonly refer to in the church as this, as conviction. It's conviction, right? So when we feel convicted or when we feel guilty, it not only exposes our sinful actions to us, but it is also the right and the healthy and, dare I say, godly response towards sin because it causes us to take responsibility for our actions, to run to God, and to ultimately to confess our sins so that we might be forgiven. So listen, the best example I can give you from the Bible concerning this uh, comes from what David wrote in Psalm 51. We know he penned this, he wrote this after he fell with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband killed. But, but here's what he said. Please listen to these words. 
He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from what? From my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. In other words, if we went to court of law, you'd win. That's what he's saying. So listen, as we can see from these verses, guilt once again motivates us to go for uh, the forgiveness that we need, to go to God for the forgiveness that we need. And so I believe once again, it's this gift from God that ultimately keeps us right with him. Amen? Yeah. All right, so, but on the opposite end, or the opposite of the spectrum, opposite of the coin, however you want to word it, uh, when it comes to shame, shame makes us, uh, makes us want to cover up our sin, to keep it secret, to keep it in the dark. And why do we feel the need to do that? I believe it's because of this. Because Satan is whispering in our ear telling us that if we bring it to light, then we are admitting who we are. And if we are that, right, if we are that mistake, if we are that failure, if we're that sin, then there's no way that God would ever love us and that people would never accept us. That's what shame tells us. Because why? Because what we've done is so bad, man, we deserve to be rejected. Anybody with me? So if I could put it another way, shame goes far deeper than our actions because it is rooted in a lie. Somebody say a lie. It's rooted in a lie that we believe about ourselves. It's the lie that says, once again, I am a mistake, I am wrong, and I am bad. And so right in sync with the enemy's plan, this lie keeps us from running to God for what we desperately need, which once again is what? Forgiveness. Instead, what it calls us to do is to run in the opposite direction and hide. Keep it in the dark. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Right? And so what happens is, is, is because that issue remains, uh, basically what happens is, is our hiding leaves us in that feeling of despair, that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of loneliness uh, around whatever sin we've committed. It leaves us, let me say it this way, relationally disconnected. So... Biblically speaking, is this not uh, how both Adam and Eve reacted in the Garden of Eden after they sinned? We all know the answer is yes. Genesis 3 says this. It says, but the Lord God called to the man. He called to Adam. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was full of shame because I was naked. I was exposed, so I hid myself. You know, another biblical example of this um, desire to hide in shame, I believe it can be found in Psalm 44. This is what the psalmist wrote. It's from the sons of Korah. It says, all day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. If I could take the liberty word that may be a little different, I believe what they were saying is this, and my shame makes me want to cover my face. Man, has anybody ever been there? Amen. Me too. So there's something I want us to notice here. As Christians, when we try to cover our face in shame, because at some point all of us do, okay? Um, I think if we realize or not when we do that, in essence what we're telling God is this, is that my mess has more power than your cross. That my mess, my issue, my problem, my sin has more power than your cross. 
It's more powerful than your blood. Right? And, and so in doing so, we do what the Bible says, and I believe it's in Romans, it says that we nullify the grace of God. That we absolutely stop the grace of God from moving in our lives until we do what King David says, and we actually bring sin to the light. Y'all do know that you, that you can hang there in sin, right? Yeah. So, so once again, with, with, with all that in mind, if I can just uh, remind everybody in this room, man, that there is nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Like, like, how can I say this? Have you ever had a shirt that you really, really like that gets a, and like say a, uh, you know, listen, I'm from the South, and we, so we eat stuff with grease on it, right? <laughs> and uh, there's nothing worse than getting a grease stain on your shirt because it don't want to come out. And I have like absolutely ruined, because I'm not the cleanest eater, right? That, that, that I've ruined shirts by getting grease on them, right? And, and all I'm trying to say is this, is man, that even Jesus gets out that grease, Hallelujah. That'll preach, preacher. All right. All right. So, listen, before we move on to the second question I told you we were going to answer, <clears throat> I want to uh, say something that has the potential to, to potentially be the, the most, one, well, let me say it this way, one of the most important things that I'm going to say all day. Okay, potentially one of the most. And, and so do your best to lean in and hear what I'm about to say. Because every, every single one of us in this room were hardwired by God to need connection, to need a strong sense of love, to need to know that we belong, not only with God, but also with other people. Satan comes and he uses shame as a tool to keep us from being vulnerable with one another. Okay? And, and see, it's this, it's, shame at its core is, is this. It's really, it's really a fear of disconnection. It's a fear of disconnection. It says this, and here's what I mean. That, that it's, it's where we tell ourselves, if I am found out or if my sin is exposed, they won't like me. If they know who I really am, there's no way that they could love me. Right? If they, if they, only, if they only knew what has happened to me in my past man, they would probably laugh at me and I would be humiliated and I would be embarrassed, right? Or, or, or it's this, that, that once again, if they find out who I really am, they're going to think less of me and they're going to reject me. Has anybody ever had any of those thoughts? Amen, about five of us. <laughs> Amen. You see, this is, this is why shame whispers in our ear, whispers in our ear, please hear this. I just want to get real with you today. That's this, that if they really knew how you feel about your body and the way you look, right? If they really knew your marriage is on the rocks, if they really knew that you've been divorced, right? If they, if they really knew that you can't have a baby, right? Or that, that you got pregnant before you were married, or, or maybe that you had an abortion, or maybe that you gave up a kid for adoption. Man, if they really knew how you rage at your kids when you're at home, or how about if they, if they really knew where you come from, how, how poor, or maybe how, that, you're, that you got a sibling or a, or a parent that's in prison, man, what would they think, right? If they really knew that your finances were in shambles, if they really knew that your business was failing, man, if they really knew that you were battling depression and when you're really alone by yourself, that you really struggle with wanting to kill yourself, or that if they really knew that you think that you're a failure, that you're an idiot, that you're incapable, right? Or that you were sexually or physically abused as a kid. 
or that you got a porn addiction or that you have substance abuse or, you know, if they really knew your past or maybe the last five years or what you did in college or, or last year, yesterday, this morning or what's currently going in your mind, blah, 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 blah. Like if they really knew, there's no way they would love you and accept you. So what do we do instead, right? Because here's what I'm trying to get at. We all have those thoughts. Right? And, and those things, we don't label it that well in the church, but that's shame. Right? And so what do we do instead, right? We don't tell anybody anything. We only let people come in so far. We keep our secrets safe. We stay hidden in the dark. We live behind a giant facade. We put on a religious mask. We share bits and pieces of our inner lives. We play it safe relationally, right? And we only let people see the good moments and the happy times. In other words, we live an Instagram life. (laughs) See, but here's the problem. All the while, I think when we're playing that game and we're listening to the devil, where we're trusting what the devil's telling us. Let's call it what it is. Right? We're trusting the devil. Okay? What happens is, is, we, is we fail to realize that every person battles with some measure of shame. And we fail to realize that we're all afraid to talk about it. And we fail to realize that the less we talk about it, the more control it has over our lives. Y'all do realize that a secret only has power over you as long as it remains secret. Right? And so what happens is, is because we is because we don't really understand that, right? We, we isolate ourselves. Uh, we stay bound up in our fear. Okay, so with all that in mind, let me give you, the question was, is what is shame? Let me give you the biblical definition of shame. Okay, it's kind of wordy, but here it is. Shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of failure that often results in the paralyzing belief that one is worthless, of no value, to others or to God, therefore they believe themselves to be unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. Let me read it again so it'll sink in. Shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of failure that often results in the paralyzing belief that one is worthless, of no value to others or to God. Therefore they believe themselves to be unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. Can I hear an amen? All right, let's turn our our attention to question number two. Number two is this, is how does shame enter into our lives? I think all of us know, know this, but let's cover it anyways. At its core, shame is always rooted in sin. Somebody say sin. Therefore, it can only come into our lives in two ways. A is this, is by our own sinful or shameful decisions. Or B, by the sinful or shameful decisions of another person. How many of you guys realize that we blow it and people blow it around us too, right? So in other words, it's either we did something or, somebody, or something was done to us. Either way, it allowed the door of shame to be opened up, which causes us to feel less than, embarrassed, humiliated, or unclean, or however you want to word it, right? So this door can be opened through uh, the words of our parents. Like how many times, y'all, y'all please, especially your parents, listen to this. It, it, because you got you to gotta see this as, as, as this way, that even from the time we are children, even, and I may freak some of y'all, even from the time we're in the womb, seeds start getting planted. Okay? And, and so to think about when, when the words of our parents, when they said this, you should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you. There's seeds getting planted. 
right? Or, or how about this? It's growing up or even as an adult, right? It, it, you know, basically the door gets opened through unrealistic expectations, unfair comparisons, consistently being blamed when things go wrong, unjust punishment, being labeled, cultural prejudice, right? Uh, abuse, rejection, abandonment, neglect, failure, trauma, and so on, right? Like all that opens the door. So listen, there's no doubt there's a laundry list that I can lay out in front of you right now. But, but, but what I want us to see is this is that there's only one way that we can walk through that door. In other words, the door can be open in front of us, but we have a choice if we walk through it or not, right? And it's this. We only walk through it as if we choose to accept the shame that's being placed on us. That's it. All right? So I think another way of looking at this is, is shame can only remain in our lives if we choose to stay in agreement with the lie it's wrapped in. That's it, right? And so, so that, that holds true, right? If you believe a lie when you're 8 years old or 60 years old, doesn't matter. Both put you in bondage, right? And so if you're the person who sinned this morning, in other words, if, you, if you're the one that opened up the door of shame in your own life, right? I've done it. Some of you have probably done it too. Then what's the key? Man, we need to repent. We repent. We need to receive God's forgiveness, and we need to move on, Okay? But, but if someone else's sin, um, you know, caused us pain, in other words, if somebody else has opened up the door of shame in our lives, and, I, and listen, I, I say this with, with the most compassion I can give you, man, man, we need to let the blame lay where the blame lays. See, see here's, here's what breaks my heart about this. I'm trying to be careful here. I don't think there's many kids here. But, but listen, when... When, when, especially if you take a, a person who's been sexually abused, okay? If it continues, more often than not, it's going to go from, from what's wrong with the person that's abusing me to now what's wrong with me. What's broken in me that somehow makes this okay? And so what happens is, is that the person that's been the victim takes the blame, and what I'm trying to say today is, man, is sometimes we need to let the blame lay where it needs to lay. It's with the other person. It's not with me, right? And, but what is key is this, is we need to forgive. We need to forgive, right? And, and we need to let Jesus heal us so we can move forward. Amen? And, and whatever that looks like for whoever that's for, then, then Jesus will walk you through that journey. I promise you, Okay? And so, but let me just say this, I, I, I can't stress enough that if you open the door or if somebody else opened the door, bottom line is, is Jesus doesn't want you to remain there, okay? He wants to close the door so you can move forward in health, amen? All right, so with that said, let me give you a, a thought here before we move on. As I think this, as I think our shame, the shame that we feel, our shame reveals the dark or the hidden places of our hearts where we have yet to either uh, receive God's healing or his forgiveness. And so all I'm saying that for is this, is man, could you have the courage today to admit where you feel shame and then recognize that the reason you're still there is because Jesus hasn't been able to complete a work in you in that area. Nod your head at me if I'm making sense, please. Help me out. Okay, all right, so, so I think some of us need to ask today, man, Jesus, what are the hidden places on my heart, right? What, what are the hidden places that need to be healed 
What are the areas where I need to see forget and I need to receive forgiveness in? Please show me. And I believe he will. Amen? All right. So third question is this is how can shame reshape our lives? How can shame reshape our lives? Um, as we dive in this point, I'm gonna go ahead and forewarn you. Um, this probably has less cohesion than what I'm used to what what I'm used to presenting, okay? So do your best to stick with me. But but I'll say this when it comes to how shame reshapes us, for starters, I think we have to come to uh, grips with the fact that there's no doubt that shame is powerful enough to change the whole trajectory of a person's life. It is, right? The truth is it's powerful enough to make significant impact, to make a significant impact on a person's personality, on a person's behavior, and on the person's choices. It is that powerful. That's why, that's why shame has led far too many people down the road of violence, of addiction, eating disorders, and even suicide. Right? So, like, I know that's heavy, but that's true. Right? It's true. And we need to somehow just go, man, that's true, and not be as scared of the truth. Amen? All right, so listen, in addition to this, uh, shame has the ability to reshape us in these ways. Please listen. That, that it causes us to land anywhere from uh, being overly sensitive or overly emotional, anywhere to being emotionally closed off or just cold. Right? Like, shame can take us anywhere in that. Right? Uh, shame can also do this and cause us not to open up out of fear because like I said earlier, man, if I show them who I really am, will they really accept me? So what we do is when that fear is there, we withdraw and we close ourselves off from any genuine, real, uh, you know, relationships or community, right? The next thing is this, is it causes us to believe an eternal message of self-doubt and self-criticism. Like, have you ever noticed that when, when you blow it, that you speak more harsh to yourself than you ever would another person. That's shame. It's shame. And the reason is, is shame, once again, replays this message of self-doubt, self-criticism, where we become our worst critic. Right? Or how about this, that, man, it causes us to perceive honest feedback. Please hear me, church. That we perceive honest feedback and constructive criticism from others as a personal attack. That's rooted in shame. How about this, that we're afraid to take necessary risks? Why would we be afraid to take a risk? Because, man, if I make a mistake, once again, I am a mistake. I'm an idiot, right? So it even this, that we tend to control other people as a defensive mechanism. Uh, people, you know, are reshaped by shame because they fear authority. They embrace perfectionism, right? Uh, once again, or, or they control others, or they, I, I'm repeating myself, but, but they uh, disqualify themselves even thinking they can be used by God. Or maybe it causes them to be too afraid to live. Or maybe they're just, and, and I think this is really with guys. Here, here's guys. Let me, let, me bring, let me bring shame right down to surface level for us dudes in the room is that we are scared out of our minds to show that we uh, feel weak. Yeah, can I say something to you ladies real quick? Can we have a pause moment? Okay. <clears throat> Here's what I've recognized with hanging with dudes and being one myself, praise the Lord. <laughs> is that there's this constant, there's this constant theme of the women in our lives, I, I, I literally took this out of my notes, and I'm, and I'm putting it back in, so this is right or wrong. If, if you get mad at me, I don't know, talk to Tommy. All right, so anyways, <laughs> so it's, there's this theme, and in fact, I, 
I didn't take him completely out. I just moved to the bottom. <laughs> says this. It says, for men, basically, shame centers around his ability to not be perceived as weak. Um, now, what's basically funny here is that um, men certainly don't want to be viewed as weak in front of other men, uh, but where they really, really, really don't want to be viewed weak is around the women they love. Okay? So, but the overwhelming consensus here is this, is how many men commented uh, and what I was studying is how many women are constantly asking them to be vulnerable, open, and to emotionally let them in. But the moment they open up about their fear or a weakness, the women in their lives turn around and criticize, ridicule, and make them feel like a failure for being weak. That's truth. Okay? So how does the guy respond? Well, of course, he either blows up in anger to prove that he isn't weak, right? So in essence, um, let me say it, to prove that he's not as weak as how she just made him feel. And what happens is he turns into a bully, okay? It's a, it's a sinful reaction, right? Or he emotionally shuts down and goes into a cave because he feels utterly defeated and his self-worth is shot. But yet she wonders why he doesn't open up any, uh, you know, anymore, Right? It's because he's doing his best to avoid more feelings of shame. Man, can I hear an amen? amen? Now, of course, if you're sitting beside your spouse, I wasn't talking about you, right? <laughs> All right. So, listen, in that list, I'm not saying that every man or every woman feels that way. Uh, but here's what I hear when I, when I read through that list and think about that list. It's a great reminder to me of why God tells us again and again and again uh, as believers to encourage one another and build one another up. Right? And, and I believe partially it's so that the door of shame can stay closed in our lives. Because there's, if there's a place shame should not be ruling, it's in the church. Amen. It's with God's people. All right. So um, with all that in mind, let me, let me give you one more thing, Okay. I say one more thing, and I still got another question. It's not one more thing. I just lied to you. <laughs> one more thing in this. All right, here in this, in, in this question. Um, <clears throat> as, as I have thought about how shame impacts our lives, how shame uh, shapes our lives, I think one of the number one areas that shame shows up the most or in a consistent basis um, is, is when conflict arises. And I want to maybe sit there for a second, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, but, but, but here's where I notice I uh, face shame probably the most. Fair enough? Is this. It's like, um, have you ever wondered why you get so defensive when conflict arises? I think it's because of shame. Okay? And, and if we, you know, here's why I think we do this. I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve blew it, right? What happened after they blew it? Adam basically turns, blames Eve. Eve turns and blames the snake, and then the snake's in there holding the bag, right? And uh, what's my point is that in the garden, all the way back from the beginning, nobody wanted to be the bad guy, right? And so they blamed someone else. They had to blame someone else so that they could be perceived as the good guy and the victim in the situation. No, God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. Hold up. No, 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 God, it's not my fault. It's the snake's fault, Right? They were fighting for the good guy position. 
right? So, so let's kind of think about this as I, you know, for a moment. Here's how it looks like in my house, okay? Here's what it looks like. Here's how it plays out. Is, is I'm sitting minding my own business in the living room. Uh, Luke, my, my awesome seven-year-old, comes running up the steps, holding his stomach. He's crying and blurts out, Jude kicked me. Right? So I holler down the steps. And my 10-year-old and Jude come, Jude, come here. Right? And, and the short order comes storming up. He's got, his, he's got his arms crossed and scowling on his face. And before I can say a word to him, he blurts out, Luke hit me first. <laughs> to which Luke says, well, he called me a name, right? And before Luke can draw another breath, Jude screams, because he wasn't sharing. <laughs> to which I immediately, all right, both of you, shut up, right? Be, sorry. <laughs> We're in church. <laughs> both of you, quiet down now. Let your father speak, <laughs> Right? Uh, real quick, am I, am I the only parent in here that feels like sometimes you ref more than you parent? Yeah, yeah amen. So, but what's going on here? Man, you got a, you got a about to be eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. Man, they're trying their hardest to put themselves in the good guy seat, in the good guy role, right? By assuming the victim position, he did this to me, right? And, and because instinctively they know where there's a victim, there has to be a what? A villain. Or a bad guy. And that bad guy seat is where all the shame sits. I hope you're hearing me today. So, so what happens when we get in a conflict, conflict with another adult, say like your spouse? We start throwing accusations. Actually, here's the, the picture that I have. We start throwing accusations at one another like we're playing hot potato. We throw one their way, you did this. They tell you, no, you did this. No, you did this. No, you did this. And have you ever noticed that when you get in a conflict with your, with your beautiful bride or that amazing husband you have, that literally it goes from the issue that happened three seconds ago to 15 years ago in about 10 seconds? <laughs> Can I get a whale? Man, it's so true, right? And, and why does that do that? It's because we're both trying our hardest not to be the bad guy, right? Because we've been conditioned since time we were little bitty kids, right, to avoid that feeling of shame. I hope I'm making sense. So we avoid that at all costs, right? And so let me just say this, okay? Um, like, it, how can I say this? It's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to blow it. It's okay to be wrong. That doesn't, that doesn't label you for life. I wish we had stopped living that way. I wish I would stop thinking that way. Maybe it's just me. So, but what would happen in that moment if we stopped long enough to realize that the person I'm in this heated conversation with is no different than me? Like, they're creating the image of God just like me. They have the ability to blow it just like me. They need the blood of Jesus just like me. They have good intentions just like me. So maybe instead of trying to villainize them at this moment, what would happen if I just hold on to that hot potato for a second? It is it uncomfortable? You bet. And I swallow my pride. Let's call it what it is. Swallow my pride and realize that, you know what? This mistake doesn't define me. It doesn't say who I am or who I am not, even though they're trying to tell me who I am and who I'm not, right? But I don't own that shame. They can open it up, 
but I don't have to walk through it, right? And, and so, but I can simply say, you know, out of humility, um, you know, look, forgive me for the part I played into this. A gentle answer does turn away wrath. Still works. And then to actually have the humility to listen to their heart and to give them grace instead of trying to make them the villain again, right? Give them grace and forgive them as well so that we can move forward in a healthy way. Like, what would happen if we started living like that? Like, I'm convinced that pretty much every conflict that happens is because we're fighting over the good guy seat. Right? So, so listen, I know it's easy to say that in a calm atmosphere like today when our frontal lobe and our, you know, what is the base of our brain's not flipped, right? Like we talk about in that part of us, that fight or flight part of our brain isn't in action because that's what happens. Somebody says something and that fight or flight part pops open and we attack or we run. I attack. <laughs> Running's not really in my nature. Okay, so anyways, amen. All right, I got to land this thing. Here we go. Let me try to do this. Let me give you a quote here and we'll move. Shame is not just a fear of disconnection, but it's actually the greatest cause of disconnection. That's good. Okay, because how can we let ourselves be seen if we're terrified of what people might think? Right? All right, so how do we, how do we get healed? Okay, how do we get healed? How do we get healed? I, I think the remedy for shame will always come by a, believing God's truth, and B, by living his word. Like, there is no other way. So, for starters, Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, watch these next three words, despising the shame. Despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the point? Is Jesus has already fully embraced shame so you and I wouldn't have to. That's the point. Right? That we can be confident that when he hung on that cross and he was buried and he rose again, right, that he defeated and redeemed us from any effect that shame could ever have on us. And, uh, and so, listen, if the Bible says that you're blameless, you're blameless. The Bible says you're holy, you're holy. doesn't mean you don't have growth, but you got to rely on the word. Amen. Amen? Let the word to tell you who you are, not your past. Amen? And, and so, listen, I think the problem a lot of us in this room run into is this, is there's like... Here's the 15 things we readily accept forgiveness for. But then there's these two things over here in the dark that we just haven't been able to find forgiveness for. That's where our shame lies. And I, and, and I hope we realize today the same blood that got that stain out is the same blood that will get that stain out. We just got to believe. Amen. Amen? All right. So understand this. Somebody say redemption. So that's what Jesus gave you when he died for you. And redemption isn't some entry in some self-help program. It's not some self-improvement program. Uh, it's not a cleanup campaign, right, for people with sinful natures. Man, redemption is nothing less than impartation of new life. Okay, when you die, Jesus gave you his life. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, it says we were once dead in sins, but have since been made alive in Christ. Amen for that, right? All right, now let's turn our attention to what it means to live in God's word. Two, two things here I want to point out. First one is this, and I realize that this is going to make some people in this room uncomfortable, but, but I'm more than happy to do that, okay? <laughs> um, most of the time, shame enters into our lives through our interaction with another person. So guess what? Healing from shame typically involves another person as well. Remember, shame is the fear of disconnection. Well, how do we break that fear? We get connected. Right? And so, listen, this doesn't mean 
that we go out and, you know, put on blast every shameful thought and every shameful feeling and every shameful action we've ever done to anybody that'll listen. That's not what I'm saying. But, but listen, if you, if you dive into this process with God, I promise you he will give you a person that you can trust, that you can confess your sin to, that you can confess what, what happened to you, and maybe at one time, and, and, uh, and at the end of the day, that person will not reject you, but they'll have empathy for you. I believe Jesus will do that for you. Amen? Because the, the real antidote for shame has got to be empathy. It's got to be someone that will be willing to listen. Amen? And, and to love us and to accept us and walk our way through it. So, so listen, let me just say it this way. For whatever reason God has chosen for a relational wound, that if that thing's going to be healed, it needs a relational balm. Okay? And I'm trying to tell you, it comes through relationship. And, and so, so two things here. We need to be prepared ourselves to open up to people. Like, we need to quit listening to the devil and say, man, I can't ever tell anybody that. Like, that's got to go. And secondly, uh, hear me, church, we got to be ready for people to actually come to us and tell us their story. And when they do, we don't go, <gasps> but we have empathy and we love them, right? Because what does the book of James says? It, say, it says, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. There's something about talking to somebody else that's kingdom, okay? All right, the last thing I want to say is this, if we've got to obey the word. If by chance you're in this room today and, and you are, um, you feel shame because of cert, some certain sin that you are willfully and continually doing, that you're willfully and continually participating in. In other words, around that thing, you constantly feel shame, okay? I, I want you to know that the weight of that guilt and shame is not going to go away as long as you're living in that sin. Right? Like how many people have come to my office over the last 25 years and said, man, I need relief from this, but they don't hate it and they refuse to stop it. And they wonder why they never move forward. It's because as long as you, uh, you, you know, are, are leaving the door open, you'll never feel clean. Okay? As long as you're in a lifestyle of sin, uh, you know, and as long as you are willfully sinning and staying in that sin, the door of shame will remain open. I can't shut it for you. Another person can't shut it for you. You have to choose to grab a hold of Jesus, obey his word, and move in the direction he said. That's what shuts the door. Amen? Amen. Can we pray? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. <laughs> I even wrote a scripture on that the other day. In expectation that was going to get clean. That's awesome. Yeah. Real quick, um, everybody looking here. If you're like, hey, PQ, yeah, there's a piece of that that hit me. Just lift your hand, please. Amen. All right. Good to know. All right. Let's pray. I'm going to pray, but feel free to pray whatever you want to pray as I pray. Jesus, collectively we come to you today and individually we come to you as well. And uh, Father, we simply ask God today that um, in our lives that the door of shame would be closed. That there would be no more shame. 
that there'd be uh, no more room for the things of the past or things in the current to reshape us and to make us someone that you haven't called us to be. And so, Lord, I'm just simply asking for every single person that's in this room, whatever you got to do to grab them by the hand and begin to lead them in the process of healing. Lord, I ask that you would do it. Father, whatever they need to believe about your word that breaks the lie that they've believed about themselves, Lord, I ask that you would do it. And Father, whatever, uh, whatever people, whoever, whatever people they need to get a hold of to be able to go, okay, I, I need somebody to talk to. Lord, I ask that you would simply reveal who that person is. God, I ask that the blood of Jesus that can wash everyone that's clean will begin to wash us white as snow. And Lord, I'm asking God that there would be a safety and there would be, a, a, I guess, just a, a safe landing spot for people to actually begin to talk. And, uh, and, Lord, to be able to say, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm wrestling with. And, Father, that somebody can take them by the hand and go, man, I understand. Lord, if I could say one thing, I guess just closing. It, it's, Lord, to help us understand that you didn't come just to simply relate with us. You came to redeem us. And so, Lord, whatever you need to redeem in the area of shame, we simply ask that you would do it by your supernatural power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.